Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz. He is the founder of the Financial Survival Network, also the author of a book called Viral Podcasting, and uh, we're going to talk about a wide range of financial issues. Welcome to the show, Kerry. Hey, it's always a pleasure, Jordan. Thanks so much for having me back. For people who are not familiar with just kind of give them a brief uh, biography and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, well, I was I'm a recovering attorney. Uh, practiced law for 30 years, been involved in the legal system for much longer than that. And finally, the crash came, and I just kind of got fed up with what I was doing and just wanted uh, to do more, wanted to reach people and try to help them through the hard times. And I felt that the mainstream media really wasn't doing enough. So here I am. So what do people find when they go to financialsurvivalnetwork.com? Um, well, you know, they go there to uh, hear interviews. I've done over 5,000 interviews with uh, thought leaders in virtually every area. Uh, go there for a lot of news that we collect from hundreds of different sources every week. And, you know, it's kind of become a go-to place. To, to figure out what's really happening, to deconstruct what the mainstream media calls news, and to figure out uh, you know who's to follow the money effectively. And then you have a newsletter as well, where you uh, do separate interviews from the people you've had on your podcast. Is that right? Yeah. So we'll have some different interviews, and uh, I write a blog. I wouldn't say I do it every week, which I try to do, but it's not easy, you know that, and uh, write original articles on a variety of topics, whatever uh, whatever uh, gets me at that particular moment, that's what I'll write about. Very good. Let's kind of start on a broad picture here of where the economy is. We had a 4.1% GDP report last week. Uh, the president's saying we're going to get 3 to 4% growth. Everything's going great. Uh, what What is your kind of general view of where the economy is these days? Yeah, well, you know, uh, I guess it could keep going for a while. Um, the tax cuts definitely were kind of like, uh, you know, helped put the economy on steroids, supercharged it. And we've seen, you and I talked about it, uh, a pretty good increase in capital goods investment and production so you know it's, it's looking a lot better than it did uh, the regulatory rollback and just kind of the uh, the attitude of the administration that uh, we uh, we need to to cut back regulation and we need to uh, let business people take risks and everybody will prosper as a result. And so far, uh, that's been working pretty well. So some would say it's happening and potentially building up inflationary pressures, which is why the Federal Reserve has been raising rates, raised them twice so far, likely to raise them twice more. Do you think they're going to keep raising rates because they're worried about inflation caused by this economic growth? 
That's a good question. Uh, my gut feel is uh, there'll be some shutters in the stock market and they'll cut back because it's just too much debt. And if, if there were market rate interest rates, market interest rates, in effect, uh, most people and the governments would be paying out all their income, all their revenue in interest payments. So it's almost like a vicious cycle. I don't know how they ever normalize rates without doing something with the debt. Maybe they'll sell off the state of California and that'll cover the national debt. But short of something drastic, I don't know how they deal with the debt. So now you're saying that if the Fed keeps raising short-term rates, that's going to affect treasury bills and treasury bonds, costing the government more, that in itself raising rates is going to increase the deficit in a, in a way that's not going to be helpful, and therefore the Fed may not raise them as much to help keep the deficit down? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I think they're not going to have a choice in the matter. The, the markets uh, will speak to them. One thing is that uh, Trump uh, has a number more appointments to make to the Federal Reserve. I don't know if it's three or four. But once he's done with those appointments, then, uh, you know what, he's kind of running the Fed. All of his people, he will have the majority of votes in the uh, New York Fed and uh, the main Fed. And it's kind of, he's uh, been a proponent, proponent of lower interest rates. So it looks to me like, the, you know, the other thing is the, the yield curve is flattening out, always a sign of a recession. Uh, that's been the most reliable predictor of recessions yet. But on the other hand, during the Obama administration, we never had a true recovery. Uh, there was always subpar growth, subpar employment growth, and there was never a return to normalcy. So maybe now for the first time uh, since the crash, 08 and 09, we're actually seeing a real recovery, and maybe the momentum of it can take us through, uh, through the next presidential election. What signal is the inverted, well, it's not quite inverted yet, but the very flat yield curve. What signal is that, is the market telling us by having short-term rates go up so much and long-term rates going down or, or not going up as much? I mean, that's a good question. And I would have to say it's telling us that uh, there's no demand out there for long-term money that, uh, and you know, that the whole demand for loans is skewed, and therefore that's why we usually get these slowdowns when it happens. So there's much more demand for short-term money than long-term money is what you're saying? Yeah, I, I would say that if you can believe the numbers, that's what, it, that's what it probably is telling us. So say we go to inverted yield curve where short-term rates are actually higher than long-term rates, uh, how would that change the way you recommend investing? Well, you know, I think uh, I think it's an indicator of the inflation's on the way, and I think that there's going to be a slowdown, and probably you'd be looking more for, you know, really good. Well, you could see a see the market take a hit. You probably want to have some cash on the sidelines, so that if the market does go down you're going to be prepared for the opportunities that arise. Yeah. So it would be negative for the stock market, you're saying, but actually positive for cash, potentially. 
yeah, cash, and uh, and it'll probably throw more money into bonds. You know, it's a whole complex uh, equation the way fund managers allocate funds. But if the interest rates go up high enough, then money is going to flood into into the shorter term treasuries theoretically, maybe bringing it down a bit, and you know it's going to come out of the stock market because you'll have negative yields there. And how how are we positioned internationally? I mean, overseas, interest rates are much lower. In Europe and Japan, they're well under 1%, sometimes even negative. So it makes our dollar go up and makes us look better compared to what they have. Is that going to continue, do you think? Rates are going to stay very low around the world compared to us? Yeah, well, we're caught in this trap. Uh, We're probably going to have rising inflation and low rates. And, you know, until we have the market setting the rates, uh, nobody's going to know exactly what's going to happen, how the government, how the world's central banks are going to react. But it could lead to, if the dollar, if rates in the U.S. stay high and they stay low overseas, it's going to be bad for all of their debt that's denominated in dollars that have to be paid back in U.S. dollars. And that's going to cause some problems at, in banking institutions outside the U.S. So you're saying that would be a particular problem in emerging markets that have dollar-denominated uh, yeah. debt? It would be expensive for them to pay it back, as you're saying? Yeah, all the so-called bricks. They ultimate short debt on the dollar. They borrowed long in dollars. And then eventually, you know, they're going to have to pay the piper. So that's Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Although they're, Brazil and Russia are in much weaker shape than India and China, but you're saying all of them could potentially get hurt by a rising dollar. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's going to, well, it's going to hurt them, but uh, help the companies that export to the U.S. because they'll have higher profits in the local currencies. But all things considered, uh, for debtors in those countries, is not going to be a good thing. And so would you be shorting uh, an ETF on emerging markets, or how would you try to profit from that? Uh, you know, that's the other thing. So emerging markets, we always look at the price of copper, the true uh, unmanipulated price, if it's possible to obtain that. Um, price of copper has crashed 15% over the past month and a half, and that's something that says slowdown uh, coming, especially in China, because they they use the majority of the world's copper. So, you know, it's uh, there could be a lot of stresses in the emerging markets. Indeed. So let's talk about the trade situation, because that kind of plays into all this. Some would say if we don't have a resolution, if, if tariffs just keep going up, that's going to hurt emerging markets a lot as well, as, and, and it's going to slow down China. Is, is that your sense of what the, the tariffs are going to be doing to the world economic situation? Uh, I, I don't believe that tariffs are, most of them will ever become a reality. I know that some have so far, like on soybeans and certain other goods. But uh, I've always believed from the get-go it's not, there wasn't going to be a trade war. We're at an economic war with China. And what Trump has done is totally rearranged everything. So they just settled with the EU, and it appears tariffs are off the table for the EU. Mexico has come to the table because they want certain things from the U.S., and they're going to settle. 
And basically, everybody is going to settle here because the U.S. has been, you know, I hate to use uh, Trump's term, but, you know, the piggy banks, the world, since since World War II, without any regard to the U.S.'s fundamental economic position. So once once they realize that the U.S. is just not going to do this anymore, not going to become the dumping ground for all of their goods to keep local employment high, they're going to have to capitulate because, look, the deficit, $500 billion a year with China. So if these tariffs go into place, you know, China gets hit much, much worse than the U.S. And they're going to have no choice but to, uh, to capitulate. Also, you have the intellectual property theft, patent and uh, copyright theft that goes on unabated in China that's encouraged, that's systematized by the Chinese system, and that's going to have to go. Trump is the first one to stand up. So the fact is, when push comes to shove, there'll be a face-saving maneuver, and all will be well. I mean, I just don't see any other way that this thing works out. I don't think it's been a real... It's, I don't think it's been a story that's been reported accurately from the get-go. So, so that's, that's what I'm seeing things happen. I, I've gone beyond the trade wars. To me, that's yesterday's news. I'm more concerned yeah. what's coming down with these third-world countries hyperinflating like Venezuela and Iran and where that leaves their people and the countries around them. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz. He's the founder of the Financial Survival Network. You can find out more at his website, financialsurvivalnetwork.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We've all been there. Struggling to keep up with credit card payments? Searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt? Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments, and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt, and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, Visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. 
Has your small business been turned down for a loan by the bank? Is lack of capital hindering your business growth? Small businesses unable to obtain bank financing or tired of merchant cash advances can now get the financing they need. Corporate Lending Solutions provides short and long-term capital, revolving lines of credit, and unsecured business loans. Does your business need help with payables, supplies, or payroll? Corporate Lending Solutions has powerful programs to help. While getting a small business loan can be a long, daunting process, with Corporate Lending Solutions, it's simple and takes only one to three days. Call 800-261-6478 or visit CorporateLendingSolutions.com to learn more. 800-261-6478. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz. He's the founder of the Financial Survival Network. You can see his blogs and podcasts and all kinds of good information at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, Kerry. Hey, a pleasure, Jordan. So I just want to go a little bit more on what's commonly called the trade wars. You're saying it's economic war. In the short term, Everybody's taking some pain here, right? I mean, the cost of aluminum and steel has gone up. These tariffs are coming in and making things more expensive from China, from Canada. But you think they'll reach a breaking point, and then they're going to say, we can't take it anymore, and they're going to lower their tariffs. just want to make sure I'm clear of what scenario you think is going to happen here. Oh, yeah. Well, for Canada, that's a no-brainer. They're going to come crawling. Or or they'll uh, they'll go into a severe recession, kind of the choices for those. And, you know, he thinks because he legalized marijuana that he'll get a huge number of votes. But the fact is, next year, Canadian election, he's gone and probably forgotten quickly. Uh, The Chinese, obviously a tougher case. But, you know, when you read people, what they write, uh, who are on the ground in China, you know, their view of Trump is completely different than the view held by a large swath of the American public, which is that he's some kind of idiot bull in the China shop who, you know, who's totally inept and competent. And, you know, if, if Uncle Sam had a check for $10 billion, he'd be broke now. You know, that's the perception of a wide swath of the American public. But the Chinese view is, hey, this is a guy who is one by one is, is repudiating and repealing the New World Order. He's taken on NATO, our so-called allies there, and said, hey, if you guys want to be protected, you better pony up like you promised all these years ago and never have, because we're tired of doing this for you. And he took on the World Trade Organization, and he's taken on the UN. And he's out to reform the entire New World Order so that the U.S. becomes a beneficiary of it rather than the prime financial and military supporter of it. 
and maybe that's a new new world order. I'm not sure, but the trade trade war means nothing. It is a term that does not exist. There's no such thing as a trade war. I've said it from the get-go, and I'll say it again. What does exist are competing, conflicting interests of countries that sometimes will wind up in economic warfare. And then the next step is when you can't uh, solve things politically, you go to military warfare. But Trump is a incredible student of Sun Tzu, the art of war, the Chinese general who I think it was 12th or 13th century wrote this tome that is studied in the military academies of the world, military colleges of the world to this day. And, you know, the, the brilliance with which he's executed it is, is stunning to the point where nobody even knows that he's done it. Look at Korea. The key to winning a war is to win it before the first shot is fired or to never even have to fire a shot because you've won the war before the hostilities break out. It's happening. Um, you know, probably with Iran as well, probably Venezuela, probably Cuba. All of these governments are poised to fall directly as a result of Trump's policies. So that's why when we go back to trade war, no, it's just another form of war on a different front. There's, it's not its own war, if you will. So, uh, so, I was so how it work, Kerry, specifically, specifically related to China? How is it going to work? Do you think mm -hmm. he would get them to stop stealing intellectual property and lower their tariff barriers and not subsidize state-owned enterprises, all the things he's objecting to? Do you think ultimately they'll concede and not do those things? I think uh, they, will, they will have to stop a large number of those practices. One of the deals, when he cut the deal with uh, Junker, the president of the EU, was that uh, we're going to concentrate on our common economic interest together. And if you read into that, clearly they were taking a shot across China's bow. The Chinese are in awe of Trump, and they're mesmerized and really taken in by him. And that's another reason why this thing is just going to be worked out, Jordan. It's, it's not in their interest to get into a full-blown, tit-for-tat, you know, war with the U.S. It's not going to happen. Yes, at one point, they're going to be the financial center of the world and probably a dominant military power, but Trump might have set them back 20 or 30 years. They were not ready for the likes of Donald Trump. And so it's clearly it's happening. What, what are the economic, well, the market implications of that? Say exactly what you say happens, that we put so much pressure on them, Canada, European Union, China, they ultimately kind of concede lower tariff barriers. What are the, is that a very yeah. bullish uh, thing for the, the stock market? Um, okay, so it's bullish on the one hand because we got more demand for American products, but then it's going to be, it's going to be negative because we're going to see inflationary pressures build on the system. I mean, I've debated in my mind for years, and we've talked about it, workforce participation rate. Ten years ago, when this thing crashed, the economy crashed, and it went down to 62, 63%, uh, that showed a lot of people went on, you know, retired early. A lot of people went on disability. Ten million people went on disability, like, overnight. And But now, the baby boomers, your generation and mine, are ten years 
older. And a lot of the people that left the workforce 10 years ago don't want to go back unless they absolutely have to, to uh, increase their income. They're done working. So we might be in a situation where even though the workforce participation rate is lower than it was by, I think, four or five points, it still is a full employment because because these people don't want to work anymore. You know, when you hit your 70s, uh, I don't know how I'm going to feel about work, but probably less inclined to want to undertake it. And yeah. like I say, the baby boomers are 10 years older from when the crash occurred, and maybe they've toned down their desires, their wants, and they're looking for just a comfortable lifestyle, uh, minimalistic, and they'll be happy with that. Um, yeah. I think things have changed dramatically. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that the economy's changed with them. So getting back, I believe that uh, we will see more inflation because uh, pay rates are going to go up. We're going to see more productivity because of more investment in physical plant. I mean, heck, I never thought that uh, they'd be o- reopening U.S. steel plants, um, which they just did last week someplace in the uh, Rust Belt. But there it was, like right in front of our very eyes. And this evidently is picking up steam, happening more and more. So the political ramifications also are astounding because the Rust Belt, uh, blue-collar workers, traditionally epicenter of democratic strength. I think uh, this economy continues increasing. Jobs continue improving even marginally. I think that uh, the Democratic Party has lost the Midwest for good. It's done. It's over, and and that could be the end of the uh, the current Democratic Party as we know it. Yeah, I want to switch to another subject, which is cryptocurrencies and uh, Bitcoin and all that. I know you've got a lot of interest in that. It had a huge rise at the end of last year. It's had a huge fall this year. It's been coming up back a bit. Uh, are you optimistic about the long term potential for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? Um, kind of. Um at a crossroads now. So uh, the price of Bitcoin peaked on October 6th, I mean, on December 16th of last year. And it just so happens I wrote a newsletter on that date telling people, sell half your Bitcoin. You're deluded. You think it's going to go to infinity. So settle for half of infinity because half of infinity is better than a loss, which, of course, a few people did listen to me. I actually got some thank you emails the email went out on December 17th, so it was the day after Bitcoin peaked. So I call that peak, and I don't think I'm a genius. It was purely accidental, but accidental only that I called it the proper day. Not that uh, I called it, because I knew this was going to happen. All you had to do was look at that chart, Jordan. Where have we seen that parabolic chart before? And um, so in the future... There is a role for them. There's going to have to be some type of reform of the global monetary system, whether it's a new currency, global currency, the U.S. dollar, uh, no longer being the reserve. I don't know what it's going to be, but it just seems like we have to do something different because we keep creating more and more debt, and maybe now we're starting to create wealth, but it seems like it's the human condition, Jordan, that we always are much more adept at creating debt than we are at creating wealth 
over the long haul. There are periods of time where we definitely create massive amounts of wealth, but then there's periods of time where just create so much debt that the wealth of yesteryear is swept away. And (laughs) there has to be an answer to how we accomplish both of a reduction in debt and an increase in the global wealth, because that's the only thing that really assures peace in the world and really, really keeps uh, people happy, if you will, growing. And it's tough. It is. Okay, we're going to go for another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz, founder of the Financial Survival Network. You can find out more at his website, financialsurvivalnetwork.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz, the founder of the Financial Survival Network. You can find out more at his website, financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, Kerry. Hey, thanks, Jordan. 
So we talked about cryptos and Bitcoin a little bit. How about gold? You always you've been following gold. It's been in a pretty declined bear market for a while here. Is it going to continue, or is there a reason for gold and silver to turn around here? Yeah, well, you know, inflation probably good for gold, right? Uh, good for silver. Yeah, it's been going down. It hasn't gone down that much. It's kind of been trading in a a channel for the past three years, two and a half, three years. So. You know, seasonally, it probably should go up in the fourth quarter. It does 70% of the time, but we'll have to see. Um, you know, it's also a play on uh, people's uh, skeptical attitude towards government, their loss of confidence in government. Uh, you know, even though Trump might be inspiring confidence, if you look around at all the states, California, Illinois, New Jersey, uh, New York, they're all broke, and they're all on the edge of bankruptcy if somebody wakes up and uh, and tells them that they're bankrupt, then they won't have any, uh, any more excuses, and they'll have to just acknowledge the obvious. We're living in the weekend at Bernie's economy with these states and the public pension plans, so... I don't know what's going to be the catalyst, but my gut feel is that at some point uh, it will take off again and probably reach new highs. And could be the fourth quarter where it begins its ascendancy, but it's not just going to stay dead like it is or declining slowly at the present time. I see it uh, probably going up in the future and certainly over the coming years ahead. And so how would you play that, Kerry? Would you do physical gold? Would you do ETFs like GLD or gold mining shares? How would you play rising gold? Well, well, ETFs have certain technical problems with them, like whether they really have the metal or not. And they have these depositories and sub-depositories, and nobody knows if they really have the gold. So generally, there are some closed-end funds in like Canada, Central Fund of Canada, Sprott, where they really do have the metal. Um, I think they're going to be uh, gold-backed cryptos, real gold-backed cryptos. I know that uh, certain entities in Canada are working on it now. It's just a matter of time till, till, they, uh, till they do it. And uh, that, could, that could change the whole crypto space. It could change everything rather quickly um, if what's blockchain-stored gold right now becomes the tokenized gold, then we could see a big increase relatively quickly. So that would be a big increase in demand, you're saying? That would be a big... If, if you've yeah. got crypto gold, in effect, you'd have more, more reason for people to buy gold to back these cryptos, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So mining shares of select companies, you know, the problem with mining shares is you have business risk. It's not like you're just buying gold in the ground. You're buying management's ability to take that gold out of the ground, most mining companies, precious metals, will never actually complete a mine. So there's two types of mining companies. Mining companies that are really out there to extract precious metals from the earth, and mining companies that are there to sell their shares and make a nice living without really respect to the viability of their project. So you have to always go for the former and stay away from the latter. Unfortunately, there's a lot of them out there 
that have no interest and no ability to ever really uh, take these deposits in the ground and turn them into uh, cash flow. So yeah. it's very yeah. difficult. It's tricky. But when you hit them at the right time every few years, the returns can be astronomical. Yeah. Let's go to another area of tremendous growth, which is cannabis, which uh, Canada is about to legalize fully. We have quite a few states in the U.S. that have now legalized it. Um, and there's a Ooh. lot of hype around the whole cannabis stock area and ETFs. Do you think cannabis has a lot of growth potential, and how would you play it? <laughs> no, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> pun intended. Well, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. No, um, it's kind of like there is no limit to the potential supply from the legal channels. There's no limit. We've seen in states such as Washington State, where it's been legalized for several years, since 2014. We've seen in Oregon, where it's been legal the past year and a half or two. The prices of cannabis-related products have kind of uh, dropped substantially, like as much as 50%. So when we see that uh, that can happen, now granted, in other places like Nevada, California, they cannot keep product on the shelves. But those are newly legalized markets. So there's a lot of growth ahead, but you've got to pick the companies that have the ability to create the super brands of tomorrow. And nobody really knows what those super brands are going to be. So the key is to buy these stocks extremely cheap, buy a bunch of them, but look for guys, again, who are not just looking to cash in on the stock, but really are out to build world-class brands. And telling that is often difficult, but it's worth the effort. The ones who are out to build the brands have really good potential. The ones who are out to make a killing in the market are going to be like the dot-coms of yesteryear that nobody remembers, you know, that did dumb things that nobody cared about. So just remember, it's a product that's grown from the earth, or actually in warehouses now, and it's very easy for supply to outstrip demand. So soon they'll be asking for the, the government for protection from all the uh, cheap foreign wheat coming into the country. And then, you know, we've seen this play out a lot of times. Some would say that the big tobacco companies and beer companies and, uh, you know, others, even drug companies, would want to get into this and, and make it a growth area. Is that possible? You know, look, the pharmaceutical companies, it's always theoretically possible because it's a drug and they sell drugs and all of that. But they're in a very precarious position, the farm, big pharma uh, everyone hates them with a passion. Uh, they feel ripped off, taken advantage, and many of you out there feel that they're nothing short of criminal enterprises. Not my personal opinion, but they have taken leave. And then you've got the opioid epidemic brought on by Big Pharma. You know, you've got all these negatives against them. I don't believe they're going to touch cannabis with a 10-foot pole until it's been legalized for 20 years, in which case probably too late. So Big Pharma is not going to be a player in this, in my opinion. And then we look at uh, Big Tobacco. Again, a highly disfavored industry. And um, 
in theory, they do know how to grow stuff, but uh, growing cannabis is not like growing tobacco. Um, I think the way I see it with them, probably, probably not going to touch it for a while. And then alcohol, big alcohol, I could see them doing it. Um, that's the only uh, cross-industry uh, investment that I would really f- foresee. Everything else looks like it's just kind of coming up organically. Um, you know, a lot of Canadian companies into this will be the first country to officially legalize cannabis on October 18th of this year. So beware of the cannabis stocks, but there are some good ones out there, some ones that I feel confident are are going to become world-class leaders and brands. Um, but it might not be in guys just selling bills and weed to the public or to wholesalers. I think it's going to be the edible industry and the concentrate industry. But again, it's a, it's a, it's an industry. Just think back to casino gambling 20 years ago. You could open up a casino any place in the country and no matter how awful your service, how bad your table odds, you would have people lined up to get into your casino. Here we are 20 years later. Casinos are pretty much legal all over the place, except maybe in Texas. I mean, you got casinos popping up all over. I mean, I was in Washington State. There's casino on every block, it seems. And now it's a lot harder to make money in the casino business. You need a brand, and you need really good execution of a business plan where the gamblers, or as they call them in the U.K., punters perceive value to get them to come in the door, which means more giveaways, more comps. And at the same time, You've got these companies with huge stuff, and they're trying to cut back on the comps. So it's, it's a real tough struggle for casinos, and it will, in 20 years, be a tough struggle for cannabis producers. But in the meantime, you get on the right, on the right bandwagon here, and you can make a lot of money off of it. But just so, do, do you have some suggestions, Kerry, for one or two bandwagons, some specific stocks well, that you would I've like in the cannabis world? Sponsors. I got to be clear that they're sponsors. Uh, okay. One was Pure Cannabis. The other was Leviathan Cannabis, Pure Global Cannabis, and they're stuck on the symbol on the Vancouver Exchange. And like I said, they're a sponsor. They paid me to say nice things about them, but I wouldn't say nice things about them if I hadn't done my due diligence. Um, I like the people involved in it. They're really bright. They're looking for a brand. And they're concentrating mainly on the medical uh, channel because there's a lot of uh, potential uses and current uses for cannabis, CBD oil, which is known as hemp oil. And these guys are poised to really take advantage of it. They're not really interested at the present time in the recreational market. So I would say these medical provider people really, really have a leg up. And then Leviathan... It's just a fascinating company because they've purchased a drugstore in Ontario where they're going to distribute medical product, and uh, they've got a branding aspect to it, and uh, they've invested heavily in technology, growing technology. 
So they intend to become a vertically integrated cannabis producer. I don't know of anybody else that's got that business plan. But like I say, these companies are my sponsors. And, you know, but what, what is the symbol? Down, I don't own any shares. What, what is the stock symbol for Leviathan if people wanted to look into that more? Uh, Epic. E-P-I-C. It's on the Canadian Securities Exchange, the CSE. And they've gotten some major money behind them. Both of these companies well capitalized. That's the one thing I would tell you. In the cannabis space, if they aren't well capitalized, if they don't have $10, 20000000 in the bank or have plans to raise it very quickly, don't touch them. You want well capitalized companies who are, who've got proven management and a good business plan to brand. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz. He's the founder of the Financial Survival Network. You can find out more at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Looking for an investment option? Consider Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. Secured Real Estate Income Strategies is a real estate-backed option offering investments with a monthly income objective. The goal of the strategy is to lend money to real estate developers. SREIS offers an 8% preferred return per annum, plus a share in any profits. While there is risk, including loss of capital, and you should carefully read the offering circular for full details, Secured Real Estate Income Strategies screens each real estate loan carefully. Call 888-444-2102 or visit securedrealestatefunds.com to learn more. 888-444-2102. Jordan Goodman is an advisor to and part owner in Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. This does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. Securities offered through North Capital Private Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kerry Lutz, founder of the Financial Survival Network. 
You can find out all of his work at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, Kerry. Hey, thanks, Jordan. In addition, in addition to Financial Survival Network, you did a book called Viral Podcasting, a proven process to earn a six-figure income from your show. Uh, so briefly, just say how people can profit from podcasting. Yeah, well, so first and foremost, you got to be willing to make a commitment to it. You have to treat it as a business. If you're not familiar with podcasting, some of you might not be. Basically, podcasting is you do a recording digitally, you upload it to a server, a podcast server, and then there's an RSS feed or link so that you can look up the podcast on places like iTunes, like Google Play, and any number of dozens of, of uh, podcast servers out there, or podcast aggregators, TuneIn Radio, you know, all sorts of different places. And then you can download them on your phone, and you can listen to them when you feel like it. Effectively, it's radio without having to turn on your radio, without having to worry about the program manager when, you know, you listen to it when the radio tells you to listen to it, because otherwise you're not going to be able to. Well, with podcasting, all that's changed. So, so a lot of people have gotten into it. There's hundreds of thousands of podcasters. Most of them aren't doing much. Hardly anyone who starts ever makes it past. 20 episodes, and what I wanted to do from the book was to make it clear to you that you can actually earn a living if you are willing to A, uh, come up with a concept, do a little market research, brand your podcast, go and uh, do a little research, like I said, and invest in some halfway decent equipment, don't have to be a fortune, but under $1,000, a little bit of software, and you can be a podcaster. And then you can go out and find uh, sponsors. You can find alliances, uh, you know, affiliate marketing deals, all sorts of things. And you can make more than six figures and up from your podcast. I've done it. I know lots of people who have. And although it's the minority of people, more and more people getting into it. If you have your choice between writing a blog or doing a podcast, do a podcast because there's a lot less competition for podcasting than there are there is for blogging, and you can also combine the two. So it'll give you a leg up in the market, make you an authority, and it doesn't if it's an interest or a passion you have, whether it's markets, wooden boats, if you love to travel, uh, if you love uh, scuba diving or deep sea fishing, there's a podcast for it, and. People add more and more podcasts, hundreds of them every day. And if it's a career that you know you think holds interest to you, then you should give it serious thought to doing it because there's a lot to be gained. Very good. Uh, another topic you wanted to discuss was homelessness. And you're seeing more and more cities now, there's a lot of homeless. What is causing this and what's the solution for it? Okay. Really quite frankly, and I don't want to get into political discussions, but it is the epitome of liberalism. And it's a liberalism that defies parties because one of the biggest uh, people responsible for homelessness in California was Ronald Reagan because he signed legislation. He proposed it, signed it, which allowed the uh, mental hospitals, hospitals for the uh, insane, whatever you want to call them, 
to actually be emptied because it was felt to be an injustice to hold somebody against their will who may have been insane in a mental hospital for their entire lives and that they should have the opportunity to rejoin the community and be integrated into the community and, and have a better life as a result. Well, what you're seeing now is or are the results of that altruism. I mean, it would be great if we didn't have any people who are mentally compromised, if we had no alcoholics, if we had no drug addicts, this would just be the greatest thing, then we wouldn't be discussing this. But you know and I know from New York, three-quarters of the people are afflicted by drugs, alcohol, or have serious mental uh, afflictions. And my point is we need to reinstitutionalize these people because there is no other way to get them off the street. We're not going to magically come up with this nanny solution where people are going to keep track of all these people 24-7 and make sure they don't terrorize neighborhoods, make sure they don't uh, you know, use the sidewalks for, a, uh, for effectively a toilet. I mean, what's happening in San Francisco is a pure result of it. And the other thing is, we didn't save any money by emptying the mental hospitals. In San Francisco, they spend $40,000 per person per year, per homeless person, trying to, you know, between emergency room visits, police, all that. And the other thing that happened is a lot of these people wound up in jail who shouldn't be. Uh, they steal because they have to eat, and they wind up being caught by the police, getting into altercations. It's a horrible, horrible way of life. The courts effectively said you have a right, a constitutional right to be homeless. And you might, but I have a constitutional right to walk down the streets in San Francisco without stepping in human excrement. So whose yeah. right is superior? The other yeah. thing is the courts have said you cannot force a, uh, a mentally afflicted person to take medication. And medication might be the only way that they sober up and, and are normal, functional human beings. But because you're not allowed to force them to medicate, as a result, uh, they never get that opportunity. They live on the streets, and their conditions only worsen. So what I'm proposing is mass reinstitutionalization with a twist. Every person has an advocate who will watch over them in whatever institution they're in, we triage the patients. For instance, there is a core, there is a part of the homeless population that has gone on their luck, lost their job, medical ailment, whatever, and they wound up on the streets, not through any of the other three causes of drug, alcohol, or mental yeah. deficiency. And those people need to be helped as much as we possibly can to find housing and to, to get their lives back. All right, those are the ones we need to concentrate that form of assistance with. But the others need to be triaged, not mixed in with criminally insane. Traditionally, our state mental hospitals have also been repositories for the criminally insane, people who have committed heinous crimes and have wound up in jail because, uh, uh, rather, in the mental hospital because they were found guilty uh, or not guilty by reason of insanity. 
Well, Unfortunately, Carrie, we're, we're, we're at the end of the show. I'm, I've got your point. We, we got it. So I'm sorry we have to end. My guest this hour has been Carrie Lutz, uh, the founder of the Financial Survival Network. His website, financialsurvivalnetwork.com. You can see he's an expert in a lot of different areas that we covered today. Thanks so much for being a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Carrie. Hey, and as always, thanks for having me, Jordan. Keep up the great work. You do amazing work. Great. Thanks so much. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.